Welcome, one and all, to Barncast Season 5, Episode 2. My name is Ben Drew, and I'm joined by... Alex Ritchie. And we're very happy to be with you this evening, slash day, slash afternoon. Slash middle of the night, depending on what type of job you have. Yeah. Shout out to all our shift workers. <laughs> Thank you, nurses. Um, so, first, I want to clear the air. Yeah. I, I received several messages about how... <laughs> Even I got a couple. It's not season four, season five. And I know that I the beginning of the last episode, I it said season five, episode one. But the entire time <laughs> we were saying season four, I didn't realize how many times we had said season four throughout the episode. So yeah. I went in, I changed the first one to the magic of editing, but I didn't really check... The, the beginning of the rest of that part so no i didn't either and we got to blame that on just like benton yeah i mean to Easy be fair to. no as as we were like getting ready to go i'm like what season is it like and i'm like is it three to five and you know it's just crazy that uh we got five. here yeah yeah that's like when do we get the big cake like you know how they do that like we are i guess we missed the 100th episode cake yeah so when we get to 150 will we do a big cake sure celebrate with yeah. everybody? Yeah. Yeah. We actually stream that live. And you're just going to watch the three or four of us eat the entire cake. That's the hour. Stream. Yeah, it's just an hour of it's us. It's like a giant sheet cake. Just crying eating this huge cake. And <laughs> I would not be of much help for that. No, you just, yeah. I mean, just do what you can and then just get rid of it and eat some more. Roman style. <laughs> I Never mind. I can't say that. Never mind. All right. How's your week going? It's uh, going pretty good. Uh, I had a I had a pretty funny story. That I think you know a lot about this already, but I didn't find out about the story until uh, the full extent of it till today. And it's pretty pretty funny in my mind. So a little back history for people who don't know: uh, we get stuff photos taken at work, and because obviously we're at school, and I went to get mine done, and I remember now a lot more of the details. I said my name, and they were really like confused. I'm like, well, whatever, that's fine. So it took them a second. They're like, okay, yeah, just yeah, you, you, you can go get your photo taken. I'm like, okay. So I get it done, whatever. Don't think anything of it. And then like two weeks later, I get it back. And I looked at it. I was like, this seems a little strange. Like everyone else gets their staff photo. It's just the one photo. And that's it. I get a choice of like six different options. Yeah, and what it, kind of background do you want? Oh, I, I almost got the forest green. That was nice. That really brought up my eyes. But the funniest part is at the bottom, um, it has these things I can cut out and give to people for in case I am lost or kidnapped, they can use this photo in the media. Ooh, like a milk carton picture. Exactly, right? So I'm looking, I'm like, why is this? what is this? And come to find out that they had mislabeled me as a student. So every student had like the six different options and different uh, poses as well. And I didn't get that as an option. Uh, I did get that as an option, even though I shouldn't because I'm staff. So I'm like not thinking anything of it. I'm like, oh, whatever. I'm sure they screwed up. And then like a week and a half later, we have our school dance. And we used that same list to get um, to use for attendance at the dance. 
So I go in and I look, and I find out that not only have they replaced my status to a student, but they've actually replaced my name to just the numbers 0202. I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> like, what is going on? So I still, again, am really confused. And then, like, a week later, I get a, a photo from my vice principal, and it's of my staff ID. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Like, I found, like, everyone else had their full staff ID. They had these, like, welcome cards with their faces on it that people post outside their doors so you can say, like, who which teacher's there. So, like, oh, great. Thanks for giving me my staff ID. I look down at it, and it's absolutely not me in the photo. It's yeah. this, like, random girl who I'd seen, like, once before roaming the halls of the school. I'm like, I give up. This, this year's a bust. It's like, I, just not, I don't care what photos anymore. I don't, I, I'm not even going to try so, come to find out the full extent today that all of this was not a mistake. It was orchestrated. By one by, man. By one man, Mr. Tyler Smith. Yeah. And this is not the first time he's done this to other staff members. So, you've probably been in on the whole thing from the beginning. Yeah, I, I knew about it, yeah. Okay. So, you can correct me as, I'm, as I go with this because I, I could be wrong. So, apparently what he did is he found a... a a substitute teacher who was in for the day that he knew quite well uh, on the day the pictures were being taken and said, okay, quick, you go down and pretend to be Alex Ritchie. Now this works because my name is a unisex name. Yeah. Like anyone can have Alex as a name. So she I would went, say, honestly, it's more feminine than anything. Honestly, I wouldn't even up. call it unisex. Shut up. You're the worst. Anyway, so she went down, got the photo taken, said she was Alex Ritchie, and they were totally fine with it. Everything was good. So then when I show up later that day, they're just like, that's why they like were confused and freaked out. Like, but we already had, like, they basically thought there was two, two staff Alex Richies, hence the 0202. Yeah. Because I was the second of the, with the same first name and the same last name. So they basically just panicked and just didn't send anything out. So the real funny part is that I... I told like our, our administrator about this, and I told our um, like our secretary about this, and she is like the nicest woman and would do anything for anybody, and uh, actively called them and said, "Okay, like you mislabeled this. We've got a staff member named Alex Ritchie who needs a staff ID. Please send a staff ID." So sure enough, they're like, "Okay, it'll take a couple days." So they send out the staff ID. A white package arrives on the exact day that Tyler happens to be in as administrator for the day. <laughs> so not only, like, I said to this afterwards, I'm like, it's like you completely orchestrated this from yeah, top yeah. to bottom. Like, you organized these, like, it was my life's best moment. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, <laughs> the the administrator opens it, or the uh, our secretary opens it and looks at it and just, like, immediately goes, Tyler! <laughs> like, he comes out, he's like, and she says, I just got a package. And he's like, okay. And she's like, basically whips it at him. And he goes, he's like, am I supposed to open this? Like, thinking he doesn't know what it is. Yeah. So he like, slowly opens up the package and sees the staff card with my name on it and this other girl's, the substitute teacher's name, and just kills himself. Because it looks like, from my perspective, that this company has like fully doubled down yeah. on their idiocy and, and like stupidity and like not only marked me as a student, then got rid of my name, 
and then put the wrong person's image in. But it, it, like I said, it was like he had orchestrated. So he thinks, from my, on my perspective, which I had until today, that this company is just like the worst company ever for photos. And I'm like, I'm just never going to bother getting another one again. But he just happened to get lucky at every single turn yeah. that what the best thing for his case could happen did happen and ended up getting this. And he's just like, he's just so proud of this moment. So I, I died laughing when I found out the, the extent of what he did on that day. It's worth being proud of. So be aware if that might happen to you. He also does wear the exact same thing for every single staff photo for the past six years? Six or seven, yeah. Yeah. He, and he only wears it in staff photos. Like, it's in a closet at the back of his room. Yeah, it's his school dress-up. Exactly. <laughs> Hope he washes it at some point. Anyways, how was your week? My week was uh, pretty good. Uh, I was sick for a while, and I feel like I'm getting sick again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, Alex shows up. I had just, like, taken a nap in the chair while I fell asleep watching something. And I woke up, and I just feel terrible. I went from feeling fine to, like, my head is killing me, my nose is killing me, my throat. So, I... I'm not going to speak a whole lot tonight. Like, I'm going to do some new stuff, but then I'm going to let Alex kind of handle the lion's share. Sure. I mean, and it's everything, literally everything is going around. Like, I was reading a newscast or something, maybe just listening to a podcast, and they were saying, like, this doctor in, Al- in Alberta was saying, especially for kids, there's, like, four major, major diseases hitting them. So there's a huge thing of RSV going around all Canada. Yeah. Then we've also got just the seasonal flu plus hand, foot, and mouth is exploding this year. And we also have a gastrointestinal bug that just seems to have hit every child in Canada. So the only thing we haven't had yet, we thankfully that I know haven't had hand, foot, and mouth or um, the seasonal, uh, no, we've had seasonal flu, RSV. Yeah. That's it, right? And it's been, it's been weeks of somebody in our house being sick. Well, it makes sense. I mean, the idea, like, we hid away for two years. I didn't get sick yeah. for two years. And then all of a sudden, like, it's everything is hitting us. And, like, it's going to take a while to get our immunities but balanced out again. Uh, it's, it's, it's been brutal. Like, again, a couple nights late at night, my son's just gotten up and, like, bleh, and just puked all of in his bed, our bed, the cot that he sleeps in sometimes, like, the couch, <laughs> wherever. The backup bed. Yeah, literally the backup bed. So, anyway, it's been awful for that. No question. Yeah. So, with that, let's get into what's going on around the world. So, I just found out today, actually, at our school, they're doing a career fair next week. Really? Well, yeah, it's kind of cool. There's, like, 30-some... Like, different people coming to our school, which is surprising because we're a small school. Yeah, like, triples our school's population. Yeah. Just that 30 alone. Like, one of the things you could have are, like, police to come in and talk about, well, this is a good career opportunity if you want to become a police officer. Totally. And in Indiana, they had, it wasn't a career fair, but they brought a police officer into the school to speak with the kids, teach them how to be, like, a good law enforcement officer. So maybe they're thinking, like, you know, We've really been screwing up, especially across the states. Like, maybe we should start yeah. teaching them how to be good cops in high school. Okay. That sounds legit. Yeah. So, anyway, he's running through different, like, ways to handle people and uh, apprehend people. And he was doing a drill with the students on how police handle a bad guy. Oh. Okay. And he had 
I don't know. I assume the gun was out. <laughs> because <laughs> That's always a good start to that sentence. Because he shot a student. Oh, my. No, he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. What? There was one injury, but nothing life-threatening. I mean, it still sucks, but... Uh, uh, yeah, so he they call it an act. They're saying it's an accidental discharge, but he's Ugh. trying to show good police practice. But I think he showed like real police practice. He's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shooting on our kid, you know? Like why not? Is the kid okay? Yeah. So yeah, they're taking the hospital with injuries, but they weren't life threatening. And so, uh, can you imagine the lawsuit for that one? Or yeah. I guess it wouldn't even necessarily be a lawsuit. Just be like, here's some money. Yeah, there's no there's no sort of trial that'll happen on that one. No, that'll go that'll yeah, be settled at a court. But how how why wouldn't the safety be on? I know, and like if you're going into a school like maybe just leave your gun empty. Cuz yeah. I mean the number one rule of guns is do not point your gun at anything you're not willing to destroy. Like that is yes, rule exactly. number one. And always treat your gun like it's loaded. Like he just seemed to have uh ignored all of that. And I just love that it's the guy who's teaching how to be like a good cop, and then he like sh- shoots somebody in the there's school. A, there's a nice like you know dramatic irony to the situation. I feel really bad for the kid who got shot, but yeah, I mean I I teach shop and I teach them that the like Brad Naylor is essentially a a gun, so they have to treat it like that. Now I may have gone overboard where the kids are terrified of using it. I'm like this is not that scary of a weapon. Uh, sorry, tool. <laughs> Oops, Freudian slip. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it has gone insane where the kids are, are terrified to use it. But at least they're not brandishing it like other people have. Or you tell them like how you can hold down the the safety thing and you can just shoot nails out. I no, I did not that show is them that. Really fun. Though. I am not doing that. All right, fine. I mean, I feel like you should make it fun. They keep telling us you have to make learning fun. I do that without harming people. If you teach them how to do it safely, no one will be harmed. No. Yeah, all right. Whatever. No. <laughs> all right. This is why I teach this course and you don't. That's fair. Uh, all right, let, let's keep in the vein of kind of like law enforcement or a judicial system. Okay. Let's go to the UK. Mm-hmm. And in York, a man uh, was arrested for throwing eggs at King Charles and his queen consort Camilla. I saw that. Yeah, so 23-year-old Patrick Thre- uh, Thelwell, who was a univer- student at University of York, was held on a suspicion of public order offense of throwing eggs at King Charles uh, during his visit to Yorkshire last week. And he was yelling, like, basically, the, the British kingdom is built on slavery, which he's not wrong. And, uh, Doesn't everyone know that by this point? Yeah. Like, and obviously, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's like saying America's built off slavery and, and pelting Biden with it. Yeah. You're not wrong, and there's nothing, I don't I know. I mean, I don't like the monarchy anyway, so, no. I mean, it's a useless kind of institution. But, you know, maybe, yeah, don't throw eggs at them. But like, It's not going to end well for you. Yeah, so... If it was the U.S., he would have been shot. Yes, this is true. The U.K. is a little more reserved. His punishment, which I feel like is pretty fitting, is he's not allowed to have eggs anymore. (laughs) (laughs) No more omelets. No more hard-boiled. He can't purchase eggs. He's not allowed to buy eggs. What happens if he's in a house that has eggs? Do they have to get rid of them as well? I don't know. Like, he can't make a cake. (laughs) Yeah. 
So he's been banned from having eggs. So, wow. Yeah. How do you how do you monitor that? I don't know. You can't really, but um, yeah. So he's not allowed to eat any eggs anymore. That is. What judge came up with that? I feel like it was a parent who had really annoying kids. You yeah. know, like, well, if you can't behave, you're going to lose it. <laughs> He's uh, like, absolutely. If you can't hold on to your eggs, you're not going to be allowed to have eggs anymore. Yeah. I have done that with my own kids. Been like, it's been like, it said almost that exact same phrasing where I'm like, look, if you don't do this, this like you're going to drop your cupcake and I'm not getting you anymore. Yeah. Like my son literally did that with like a slushie that he got from uh, the fair. And I said, look, you got to hold it. You got to hold it. And sure enough, like half a second later, drops it flat on the ground. I had people coming up being like, oh, we'll get you one. I'm like, no, he needs to learn. He got over it. I, I was consoling him, but I refused to buy him another You should have laughed at him. I oh, like, I just bar- grabbed his head and shoved it in the <laughs> Look ground. Look what you did. Exactly. Bad. Bad boy. <laughs> just like he did for a dog when it pees on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't do that. Just to be clear. Please don't report me. Yep. So... Let's go over to Deutschland, Germany. Okay. So, Kristallnacht. You know what that is? Yes, I do. What is it? Uh, the Night of Broken Glass. Night of Broken Glass. So, it uh, was a pogrom, which is their German thing, uh, that began on November 9th, 1938. So, a pogrom is, is similar to like a riot, but it's like an organized riot, essentially. Yeah. And so, basically, the idea is it was when the Nazis started, like, rounding up the Jews. Yeah. And it's kind of viewed as the start of the Holocaust. Yeah, because they were targeting, obviously, the Jewish establishments, like the the businesses and stuff, yeah. So, and that's when they started rounding them up, burning buildings, smashing everything, loading them up, and shipping them out. So, obviously... Was that just in... I can't remember. Was it just in Berlin? uh, I'm not sure. It wasn't, like, countrywide. No. I want to say Berlin, but it could be one of like the the other bigger cities as well. I'm not sure. Anyway, sorry. I know this probably doesn't have anything to do with your story, but yeah. Um, well, no, it's just good to know some background information. I don't know it, so I'm learning something new. Oh, there we go. So, how do you think we should honor that night? Obviously, it's a what? very like honor. No. Honor in that way, or like remember. Okay. Like yeah, I, I wasn't using honor in like <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. Like more like honor, like the the people that it happens to the, the affected. Yeah. Okay. Um, gosh, I, I I would probably suggest like some kind of scholarship for Jewish students who are going to go into business. Okay. Okay, because they destroy their businesses and yeah. stuff. Um. I mean, also, like, maybe a candlelight vigil or a thoughtful ceremony. Right. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. I oh, mean. no. <laughs> Why did I give a real answer when I know that the actual one is so much worse? <laughs> yeah. Well, KFC wanted to help out. No. No. <laughs> KFC Deutschland put out a push notification in a tweet. That the title was Anniversary of the Reich's Pogrom Night. And then it invited everyone, you know, to come together to remember the evening by enjoying some tender cheese with crispy chicken. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, how about you celebrate a terrible, terrible night by eating some chicken tenders with some cheesy sauce, basically. Oh, my God. Like, what are you thinking? They're obviously not. Yeah, so. But that's. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the, the weirdest thing. That you just see come out. But. And can you imagine, like, 
what they actually were picturing. Like, were they picturing people being like, this is a good idea. Let's pick up a bucket of KFC and dip some of that chicken in some cheesy sauce and remember what happened before we were born. Yeah. See, like, that. none of that checks out. Like, let's sit in silence. Yeah, none yeah, Listening to the sound of broken glass and eating our KFC in silence. It's just, yeah, it's just wild. So they immediately tweeted out an apology. They said it was incorrect and inappropriate, but, I mean, the damage is done. You can't oh, yeah. backpedal on that. They said in a statement to news outlets that it was obviously wrong, insensitive, and unacceptable. The The message about Kristallnacht resulted from an automated push notification that had been sent by accident. That, how's that Ow. accidental? Yeah, no. It was titled, like... Anniversary of the Reich's pogrom night. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and that can't be something that they have set. Like, I'm sure companies have like automatic things set up. Like, oh, on this holiday, have this go out, and maybe like is is that day considered a holiday or not a holiday, but a, like a day of remembrance in in Germany? I mean, I'm not sure. Do you know what I mean? So like, yeah, but like they're not sending that out for like. I mean, it's obviously it's Germany, but KFC America's not doing it for like Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, That's a terrible decision. Yeah. So way to go, KFC Deutschland. Yeah. Way to make the weirdest way to minimize that night ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like let's let's make this about us somehow, and uh, I think we found a way. You know, any press is good press. Maybe I can't. I, I don't can't. think that's good press. I don't think that's good press. I don't think that's press. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just like a mob mentality of people bitching out KFC. Yeah. Deservedly. Yeah. Is that one of the worst marketing campaigns you've heard of? Yeah. There was another one that's been taking a lot of heat lately is BrewDog, uh, which is a British beer company. And they set up a bunch of like posters and billboards, like anti-World Cup posters. Okay. Because it's in Qatar. Yeah. And like, I remember watching Vice documentaries six years ago about Qatar and like the awful civil rights abuses yeah. and everyone dying, building the stadium yeah. and stealing the passport of workers and basically forced slave labor. And also on top of that, like the, uh, homophobia and like the public floggings and all that right. stuff. Like obviously there is not a great, uh, human rights place. No. So then is it brew dog or yeah, so Brew dog. They, uh, put up these billboards and then they said like, it's the world's game, you know, and like all these slogans for World Cup, but then they crossed right. out game and put an SH, just the world shame. And they started going on. They said, we're the anti-sponsor. And then they said, like, all the proceeds from one type of beer is going to go to charities. Uh, uh, yeah, that you go against what the yeah. issues are. Okay. But then, like, like, people started looking into them, and it's just like, it's definitely just a, a marketing ploy. And it's like, they're still showing... Uh, the, the World Cup, like in all their bars, <laughs> to get people their to group come. Pubs, yeah. You know, like so, it's all bullshit. And everybody started seeing like, there's as you go through their website, they're like, oh, they actually don't give a shit at all. Like this is just their publicity. But uh, yeah, so that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. I'm trying to think like over the course of the years, I know like so many of the the big one. Like I, I still think of, like the one with like Pepsi, where they had, like Kendall Jenner stop a riot with a can of Pepsi. Oh, yeah, that was pretty tough. Like, that's pretty dumb. Right, here, let's get this pretty white girl with a can of Pepsi to, uh, 
that really mend things between. Well, yeah, and it was police. right after George. George it was Floyd. right after like, George Floyd. Yeah, yeah, not the best look, Pepsi. And when you're in that and you're doing that, you have to be aware that like you'd be like, this is not great. You shouldn't do this. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to explain now because it's happened like four times. I'm trying to like move the mic away. I'm I'm getting sick and I'm blowing my nose and that's gross. And I apologize, folks. I'll do better. I mean, it's not like you hear stuff coming out, but you can you can yeah. Like you'll go back and listen and be like, oh yeah, there was that's what that was. I mean, like I'm trying to hold like the microphone a foot of, like a body length away or whatever, but you know, I'm just trying here. I, I appreciate it. It came close. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this, but I, yeah, I even said like, if you're not feeling great, but you know what, you're powering through because you are committed. I am committed. I told you once we start recording again, we're going. Yes, thank you. So we're on it. Yeah, until there's the day where either you or I really can't do it. Yeah. Then but, you're doing it by yourself, or I come over here and just do one by myself. Yeah, I think I I've always I'm gonna do one by myself. So yeah, someday. Okay, I'm okay with that. All right. It's going to be hard. Mad respect to Bill Burr. If you ever listen to his podcast, every week almost, it's just him by himself. That's Im- that is impressive. Like holding on to that. But I mean, he's a stand up com- uh, comedian, so who knows? But still, you got usually even, even stand up, you get something back. Yeah. So I'll just, me and my laugh tracks. <laughs> You've not used those in a long time. Yeah. I, you know, I'm trying to, I feel like it cheapens it. You know, we're a classy organization now. We have. Horrible mustaches. We can't say that. I know it's great. I, I uh, so before we go, I, I or get into the next segment. I was video like I was video chatting with um, my sister in law, and she hadn't seen me yet. With like, she's seen the mustache, but I had some stubble. And today I like yeah. freshly shaved, and so when I video chatted, uh, she just looked at me. Literally, she like didn't even mean to. It was like, ooh. <laughs> like that was an immediate gut reaction of just like, like yeah, okay, no. I get it. I can't help this. I'm sorry. This is over soon. It is a nice mustache, though. It. I can't do a lot of things, but I can grow a mustache. There we are. And unfortunately, it doesn't like spread to like a beard. Like I wish I could grow like a really good beard. Yeah. And I can grow like an acceptable one. Well, next month is December beard. Yeah, that won't look. It'll just look manuary? like I've got a mustache and a what? Manuary. What's manuary? I don't know. Just don't shave. <laughs> There's like. What's the difference? Um, I don't know. Because I I remember before I knew about November, I know of no shave November, and that's what that's what I always thought of. So where you just don't shave and let your beard grow. What is with November? Is I it because the no part? Like there's I also guess. another no something November as well. What no peanut butter? Some yeah. sort of nutting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know about that nutting? I know nutting. It's a, is that that's what it's it a is. Newfoundlander. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's that one. It, it's got to be because there's the word no at the beginning of it. Must. Yeah. Anyway. <sighs> All right. Let's go to Waco, Texas. Okay. It's a fun place with fun history of sieges. Yes. Is not another one. No. No. So, how old is your kids? Uh, I have a four and a half year old and a one and a half. Okay. Ish. So, you think in like four years, would you allow your son to walk by themselves? Like anywhere? somewhere. 
Yeah, the, like not very far. Both my kids can walk by themselves. Now, <laughs> yeah, no, you carry them everywhere. Yeah. But like, say, like, oh, walk down the street to your friend's house or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it depends. Um, we we'll call it daytime. It's not night. Daytime, like, go probably not. So, like, my, my son. So when he's like eight and a half, like, walk down Brunswick. Yeah. I, I it's hard it's a hard call right now because I can't picture him in double That's the right. length of time he is. You know what I mean? Um, I want to say probably some places like we got a park right next door. Yeah, kind of thing. We can't see it, but I would probably trust him to go there and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm like, yeah I mean, maybe, I used to yeah. I used to walk to school when I was seven and eight. I know, and, and I like, used to as well. And I used to do a lot of things when I was younger that I'm like, mom and dad, were you trying to get me kidnapped? <laughs> like, well, okay. Anyway, in sorry. this story. It's uh, one afternoon, just back towards the end of October. Uh, there was a mom driving with her oldest son, eight-year-old Aiden, and he had two younger brothers coming back from karate. Okay. And he was driving his two brothers crazy. He's just being an older brother jerk kind of thing. You oh, know? no. And she did the classic, like, if you don't stop, I'm going to pull this car over. You can walk home. Yeah. And about a half mile out, and they're just in a quiet suburb in Waco, Texas. So a half mile out, she does it. She's like, I've had enough. You're being a jerk. All right. I don't know if she called him a jerk, but she's like, get out of the car and you can walk home. So Aiden agreed to walk home and he had done it many times before. And there's sidewalks down the entire way. It's not like you're walking on the side of the road or anything. So she goes home. 15 minutes later, two police officers show up to her front door with Aiden in the cruiser. Oh, Yeah. So they stood on her porch uh, and they started like railing her out for what she did. And she, they're like, your kid could have been kidnapped, sex trafficked. And the cops like, you don't see much sex trafficking where you are, but where I patrol downtown Waco, we do. And then (laughs) that's a little different. Yeah. Well, and she's like, she's kind of like in her head saying like, well, that's just kind of confirming this is a safe neighborhood. (laughs) Yeah, really. But um, so she's like, I, I I still didn't know it was illegal. She said, I'm like, she didn't know. And so then the cops like, you know what? We're going to arrest you. What? Yeah. So they put her in handcuffs and brought her to the police station. What about the kids? Just left them at home alone? Well, they called the dad. The dad had to come home from work. Um, And then when he got there, they took the mom away in cuffs. Wow. Yeah. Because that's not remotely traumatic for the kids. <laughs> Yeah. To watch their mother get put in handcuffs for that. Yeah. Can you imagine the power that eight-year-old must be feeling right now? (laughs) (laughs) There's a South Park episode about that. Yeah. uh, Where they get rid of all their parents. Yeah. We're not going to get into that. No. Um, So so they put her in the car, they handcuff her, they drive away. And while she's handcuffed in the car, they bring in like a child protective service person to interview her. And it was about three hours from the time the cops showed up to the time that they drove her to the county jail and she was locked up. Oh, my God. So she's just like a suburban mom. Yeah. Like now she's in jail. And she didn't have shoes on. They said they'd give her shoes at the jail, but they never did. Like, they wouldn't let her put on shoes. They're like, no, you're going you're in cuffs. <laughs> like, it's this urgent. This must be like a really dead day or like they got so many people they have to like get by the end of the month. Yeah. So next day, they pay her $300 bail, and she got to go home. Yeah. And then, so the child services made them agree to a family safety plan. 
which meant that her and her husband and or her husband weren't allowed to be alone with their children. What? Yeah. Why would the husband not be allowed to be alone? I don't know, because he married such a monster. Oh, my God. <laughs> so their mothers, uh, like the grandmothers, had to agree to be in the house with them on shifts so that they could be with their children. For how long? Uh, after, so two weeks of that. Okay, okay. So at least it's not like yeah. in perpetuity. And then they found that the complaint was unfounded, that they weren't unfit parents. But they, uh, so there is like a childhood independence law, reasonable childhood independence law that they were looking at kind of like helping kids to have similar childhoods to what we had, right? right. Because we've gone really far the other way in that protecting children to the that point where it's, they can't function. It's paralyzing them with anxiety because they have no, they've never had to make decisions and adventure right. on their own. Right. Yeah. But anyway, but all, even after all that uh, on the charges, uh, she had a lawyer who said that if she admitted guilt, she could participate in a pretrial diversion program that would close the case. So, if she had gone to trial and it lost, she would have had um, a minimum of two years in jail. No. Yeah. So for this child what? neglect, it was a mandatory minimum of two years with a maximum of 20. Oh, my God. So she heard that. So she's like, I'm taking the plea deal. Yeah, And that happens course. all the time in the States where yeah. they upcharge everyone yeah. just to get a plea deal. Yeah. So now she has a record. So she had to do uh, 65 hours of community service with a early childhood education program, but she's not allowed to be around kids. So she had to do it on like weekends, like cleaning up and stuff. Oh my god! So for the rest of her life, she's not allowed to work with kids. What? Because that's on her record now. She must be able to get that expunged. <laughs> I don't know because she pled guilty to it. It's going to be a lot harder, and that's how they wow. get you. Anyway, all stemming from. This one little decision. Okay, so never doing that. Yeah. Uh, really, it's all stemming from two asshole police officers. Yeah. Like, really, that's what this is stemming oh, from. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, it's not stemming. Like, yes, probably she shouldn't have done that. Do Should not have done that. But, like I said, I've you've done worse. I've done worse. Yeah. I When you said this and you, and you mentioned it, I remember a story from when I was – so this is when I was a kid. And – I lived, like, keep in mind, it's Charlottetown, so it's a decent drive. It was, like, probably seven kilometers from my elementary school. Like, I had to drive there. Well, I got to drive there or got a bus back. So I remember this one time where I had after-school intramurals, and I forgot to tell my parents that I was going to after-school intramurals. So, and they worked well afterwards. Like, they would normally just pick me up. And so, anyway, I went to after-school intramurals, did whatever, and then I was, like, waiting for my mom and dad. And then my teacher was still there, and she's like, oh, are they coming for you? I'm like, I'll just give them a call. It's fine. So I go to call them, and neither of them answer their phone. And that's when I clue in. At that time, like, oh, my gosh, they think intramurals is tomorrow, not today. And I'm stuck in town, and they all, both of them, like, work out of town. So I was like, uh, uh, what do I do? This is me at grade five, so I'm about – like a little bit older than yeah, him, like nine. nine. So my solution in my mind was, okay, if I just sit outside for another minute or two, no one will notice after that if I just walk away. 
<laughs> Bye. So I did that. I got my bag. And this, thankfully, this was like September or October, so it wasn't that cold. Or maybe it was the other end of the year. I don't remember. It, was, yeah. it wasn't like snowing or anything like that. So my decision then is I actually grabbed my stuff and I started walking seven kilometers home <laughs> at the age of nine. Yeah. And so it took it took a while. I didn't make it home because the teacher ended up like second guessing what was happening. And she, she yeah. so she eventually called my mom and was like, Do you have Alex with you? And she's That's like, a great phone call yeah, for a parent. Exactly. You have your kid, right? Because yeah. we don't. <laughs> exactly. Basically. And she's like, uh, no. And she's like, okay, this is what told the story what happened. And so I was like literally walking down north of a road or I guess up north of a road. And I hear this like beep, 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 beep. And I was like, huh, I wonder what that is. I turned around. It's my mom like leaning out the window. And I was like, yeah. oh, nice to see you. And she basically was like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. She had to like one, like leave work way earlier than she expected. And two, found out that I was missing and had to go find me. So that was that was not me. Yeah. Yeah. I would blame myself for that, not necessarily my mom. Like if CPS heard that, would they blame them? Uh probably. Or the school. Yeah. Somebody. Well, I mean, I literally basically snuck out. Yeah. So anyways. And it was also at that point the nineties. Yeah. Right. So nothing bad happened to kids in the nineties. <laughs> Never. Or at least not that was reported. <laughs> so just a flip side, I saw this other one. It's a quick thing about an eight-year-old. Okay. Uh, this is in India. To give you some context of what eight-year-olds are capable of in defense of themselves. Okay. So eight-year-old boy was walking home, and he got bit by a king cobra. Oh, God. Okay. Now, there is a little bit of uh, happiness. They think it was it was a dry bite. So uh, it's okay. a rare thing. Normally, there's venom there. Yeah. But anyway... King Cobras are huge. Oh, they're massive. And it bites this eight-year-old, and the eight-year-old's fighting this King Cobra, and the, the eight-year-old will screw this, you know, tit for tat, and he bit the Cobra. He bit it twice and killed it. What? <laughs> so the eight-year-old boy gets bit by a Cobra and ends up biting it to death instead. Wow. So they took him to the hospital to give him anti-venom, but, yeah, they think it was a dry bite, so he didn't get injected. But it's pretty crazy, this child, like, murdering a Cobra. <laughs> that... That's a bar-winning story. Yeah. Like, no no one tops that story. That's impressive. Yeah, so that's... Yeah, those things are... Maybe it was like... Do they have a photo of the cobra? Or just a no, cobra? No, it was like a stock, stock footage yeah. of the cobra. Yeah, they're like... How long are they? Like, 10 feet long? Longer than that, aren't they? Yeah, they're they're quite large. Yeah. Yeah, they're the, well, they're the largest venomous snake. Yes. <laughs> Did you emphasize that S on purpose? Yep. Okay. So, one last story. I almost told this one last week, but I didn't get to read much about it. And the more you read about it, just the crazier it is. Okay. And this one's a little gross at points. I'm probably fine. So, we have a man, um, 62 year old. Um, what's his name? <laughs> I really thought. I, I researched really? this. Uh, well, oh, they, yeah, there is no name. Okay. That's why. Okay. So, we have a six year old patient. Who was admitted into a hospice program. Okay. So obviously he's very ill. Yeah. And he's only 62. And so he was admitted into the Spring Valley Health Rehabilitation Center in Wisconsin um, last March. Mm -hmm. And what they think happened is he had suffered a fall at home, but at the same time his home lost heat or like power. Okay. And so 
he was there for days, kind of like in the cold in Wisconsin, March. So he had badly frostbitten feet. Oh, okay. Okay. And some of the nursing staff described them as like black, like a mummy. Like uh, I think about like Mr. Deeds. Yeah. You know, the black foot. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and so like. That's not good. Yeah. So he's in there. He's really sick, kind of in and out of it. Like not super well. Really gross black feet. Apparently it smelt pretty bad. Ugh. And so this nurse was like, we need to amputate this foot. And the hospital's like, well, we shouldn't. Like, one of the big things in hospice at that point is like, don't cause any extra un- discomfort. Right. Like, if someone's like, you know, end stage cancer, like, there's no point in doing chemo because it's not going to work. Right. It's just going to cause them discomfort. Is is sounds dumb, and I should know this, but for clarification, hospice and palliative. What's the same idea? Okay. Um, I think hospice can also be just to give a break like palliative is, is late stage yeah. as well. I don't know the exact difference between the two. Okay. Um, but very similar hospice can just be, cause I ran a program giving kind of hospice, which is just like giving breaks to caretakers. Right. So like if your husband had Alzheimer's, we'd send somebody so you could go shopping and oh, do okay. groceries. Okay. That's a form of hospice as well. But, okay. But anyway, he was palliative, like he was dying. And so, the doctors refused to amputate the foot, and the, and the and the and so the nurse took it upon herself. She got a group of nurses together, came in with uh, a local anesthetic, put the leg to sleep, and this is kind of the gross part. They were able to cut it off using bandage scissors. Like what? That, that's how like what? How decrepit the foot was? Apparently, oh. it, was, it was holding on by a tendon. Like oh my god! So. They cut it off anyway. And some of the nurses said, like, he didn't notice. And then some said he moaned. Um, but anyway, she was in big trouble. Yeah. Okay. Because she took it upon herself. But, like, you can kind of understand someone wanting to relieve. You became a nurse to help. Yeah. And relieve suffering. And that's, you know, necrotic dead foot. Yeah. Um, but. It, wouldn't that help not have the necrosis spread? True, yeah. So her name was Mary uh, K. Brown. She's 38. The problem with the main problem, besides the fact that she took it upon herself to amputate it without a doctor, when right. she's not a lot, like trained to, right, was that for the week before that she kept telling everybody, "I really want that guy's foot." <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, and she did not keep it. So she. <laughs> no. I'm not fine anymore. This is not fine. <laughs> yeah, this is nuts, man. So her family has a taxidermy shop. No. <laughs> and she thought it would be a great bit. She's doing it all for a bit. She wanted to take the foot and taxidermy it and put it up in the store with a sign saying, wear your boots, kids. And she was like, in her head, this bit is so good. And I'm going to take a guy's foot who doesn't want... Uh, the guy also didn't want to have his foot taken off. Like, he was like... Because they asked oh, him if God. he wanted to have his foot amputated. He's like, no. So, like, all right, we'll just leave it. You're going to die soon anyway. How did she get other people to help her with this? I don't know. They kind of... They, they thought that it was, like... Procedure. Yeah. That was happening. So... <laughs> it's just insane. So... After she cut off the foot, she put it in a, in a bio bag and put it in the freezer freeze it oh and 
So yeah, she had the help of two other identified unidentified nurses, and he died several days later after this happened. And and at the thing like the autopsy was like oh doing the autopsy and there's just like a random foot beside him like detached like what is going on? Oh my god! So she's on some big charges. Yeah. So one like and she was like kind of joking like that's the weird thing for everybody like all week she's like man I really want that foot <laughs> yeah why would you make it that public yeah I think like she didn't like she's so weird that she didn't think it was that bad she must not have like yeah. like how yeah. can you think you're gonna get away with that they walk in the doctor's like oh he's missing his foot no other questions yeah <laughs> but she she and like or like hmm I wonder who did this I I just wish somebody would own up to wanting it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, none of this checks out as any sense. Yeah. And, like, she's out there saying, like, she was just only cared about his quality of life, trying to make it better for him. And if it was her, she'd want it removed. But at the same time, she's, like, saying she wanted to bronze the foot and, like. Display it yeah. in her her home taxidermy shop. Yeah. So she's on charges that could get her, like, 90 years in jail. Yeah. All for a weird, morbid bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, think of it just logistically of the fact that she did an operation without the consent of the patient. Yeah. Yeah, she cut some random dude's foot off. Yeah. Like, that, in essence, that's all it is. She's like, I want that foot, and she took it. Yeah. Like, it's mutilation. It's, like, all these things. It's Yeah, completely. Imagine if she's like, I want that dick. And she's like, cut that <laughs> off. You Lorena know what I mean? it. Yeah, that's a little bit different. Yeah. But she's like, I don't want that dick. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Throw it out Complete a window. Opposite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, like there, and I mean it's necrotic, so it's not like it can possibly be reattached. Yeah. So and I mean, dude's gonna die. So like, just let him go. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why couldn't she have waited until he did? Well, they're they're not just in the the business of giving out limbs to random nurses. You know what I mean? True. You know Good what? Point. You see what you want. You got to go for it. Shoot um, for the moon. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, that's it for the news. Lots of fun uh, and engaging stories. Very. Human interest stories with Alex Ritchie. Teach me to love. The Watcher. Who watches the Watcher? <laughs> What's that from? Uh, I know some that's Superman from superhero thing. Yeah, is it from the Watchmen? I think it's from the Watchmen. Is it? I Maybe it makes sense. Yeah, that would make sense. Have you read that book before? I've seen the movie. Okay, I I have. I think I have a copy of the book. I can give it to you. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so as a really quick recap uh, for those people who uh, maybe just. Didn't get a chance to listen to the whole thing the last time. So the story I'm talking about is the true story of uh, two people who bought a house in New Jersey. And as soon as they bought it, they got this weird note in the mail that said that their house, 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey, had been watched by this one person or a family member of theirs for since the 1920s. And they bought this in 2014. So it's been going on for a really, really, really long time. But it wasn't just that. It was the the tone of it was a very kind of angry and at times dangerous tone, realistically speaking. And it really terrified this couple because they had you know young children as well that they were going to move into. And they had just purchased this home 
which had been a dream home of theirs, uh, when the wife who had lived very close to the house uh, grew up, she loved the home, loved the area. And the husband, who wasn't from New Jersey, he grew up in Maine, but he grew up really poor. And the house itself was a beautiful, beautiful home that kind of summarized everything he wanted that he didn't have when he was growing up. Right? Yeah. So when they brought those uh, letters that they received uh, to the police, the police's response was like, basically, well, this is fucking weird. (laughs) Sucks to suck, guys. (laughs) Basically, and not really provide much assistance. So it took a pretty large toll on them, and they actually contacted the people who had had lived there before, uh, who they bought the house from. And at that point... Those people had said, yeah, like, no, we, we did get a letter right before we left, um, but it definitely wasn't aggressive, and it, it kind of thanked us for taking care of the house for so long because they, they had lived there for a significant amount of time. So they didn't really think anything of it at, at all, truthfully, and they, they hadn't received any letters, so they, they just kind of moved on with their lives and didn't bother telling um, the new owners what was happening. So the two key people in play here are Maria and Derek, who are the parents of uh, three children who had just purchased the home. Okay? So we're going to pick up where we left off, which was where I had just read the main letter that uh, they had received. The, the first letter that they received. Okay? So a few days after the first letter, Maria and Derek went to a barbecue across the street, welcoming them, them and another new homer on the block. The Broadduses, which is Maria and Derek, hadn't told anyone about the Watcher, as the police had instructed, and found themselves scanning the party for clues while keeping tabs on their kids, who ran through a crowd that made up of the suspect pool. So the kids were just, like, having fun running around, and the entire time that the kids were trying to have fun, they were the parents were screaming at them to stay close. Yeah. Like, who is it? Is it you? Is it you? Yeah, it's like, and don't don't go too close to them. Like, stay close to us. So Maria said, like, people must have thought we were insane. Yeah. Like, here are these new people who won't let their kids literally out of their sight, and the kids aren't like you know, one. The opposite four. of the mother in Texas. Exactly. <laughs> they they would not be called by CPS or put in jail for twenty years because of because of, they wouldn't do it. So at one point, Derek, the father, was chatting with John Schmidt, who lived two doors down. When Schmidt told him about the Langfords. Was, you know what his full name was, right? John Jacob, Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. <laughs> is that? There, I had to take it. Is it your name too? Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> All right, let's go. All I can think about that is Recess and, and the, the TV show. And yeah. them singing. Anyways, sorry. Way to ruin the impact of this story. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. So, uh... So Schmidt told them about the Langfords, who actually lived in between Derek and John. So Peggy Langford was in her 90s and had several of her adult children, all in their 60s, who lived with her. So it was Derek and his family, Peggy and her family, including her kids who were 60 years old, and then John and his family. The family was a bit odd, Schmidt said, but... Harmless. He described one of the younger Langfords, Michael, who didn't work and had a beard like Ernest Hemingway, as a kind of like a Boo Radley from To Kill a Mockingbird character. Yeah. So, like, pretty reclusive. Didn't really see him much. But, like, weird but fine. Like, gentle. Right? 
So Derek immediately thought that this case of who the watcher was was solved. The Langford house was right next to the easel on the porch. The family had lived there since the 1960s when the watcher's father, the letter said, had begun observing 657 Boulevard. Richard Langford, the father of the whole family, had died 12 years earlier, and the current watcher claimed to have been on the job for the better part of two decades. So, when the Broadduses told the family about the told the police, sorry, about the family, they said they already knew. And a week after the first letter arrived, they brought Michael Langford, again the guy who looked kind of crazy and like Boo Radley, but everyone said it was harmless, to the police headquarters for an interview. Michael immediately denied knowing anything about the letters. But the Broadduses say that the police told them that the narrative of what Michael said matched the things mentioned. In the letters. Okay. So the story he was telling matched the story that was in the letters, even though he had never seen the letters. Spooky. So very spooky. But there wasn't actual any hard evidence to back this up. There was no video camera showing him having, you know, snuck out. To, to drop off the letter. Like, they, they don't even, no one even has any idea as to, like, who dropped off the letter. Did it come through the mail? Was it hand-delivered? Yeah. Nothing like that, right? And there's no return address. So, you know, there's, there's not a lot to go on. So, after a few weeks, the police chief told the Broadduses that, short of an admission, there wasn't much the department could do with Michael Langford. Yeah. Frustrated, the Broadduses began their own investigation. Derek became a sub especially obsessed. He uh, set up webcams at 657 Boulevard and spent nights crouched in the dark, waiting, waiting and watching to see if anyone was uh, watching the house. It's a new fad, waiting. I, I feel like I want to redo that whole paragraph. Wait and watch. I'm not going to, but man, I butchered that real hard. Like the watcher will do to them. Spooky. <laughs> Once again. Yeah. And again, I do remind you, this is all really well documented. Like, this is not a made-up story. This is something that happened to a family. There are police reports, folks. Yes. This is this is justified and a true thing that actually happened. So, the Broadduses also turned to several experts. They employed a private investigator who staked out the neighborhood and ran background checks on the Langfords, but also didn't find anything newsworthy on them or really any of the people in the neighborhood. Derek checked out, uh, reached out to a former FBI agent who served as the inspiration for Clarice Starling in The Silence of the Lambs, and they also hired Robert Linehan, another former FBI agent, to conduct a threat assessment. Cool. Yeah, so they are obviously taking this as seriously as possible. Yeah, that I mean, it sounds pretty freaky. Yeah, if you're reaching out to the person who was the inspiration for the girl from Silence of the Lambs, you take this seriously. Right? That's impressive. I mean, that movie came out in 91. So, you know. Yeah. Anyway. The guy just, like, watched the movie. He's like, I need this woman. Yeah. <laughs> this is who I need. I yeah. need this woman. He actually just called Jodie Foster. She's yeah. like, I don't know what you're talking about. So, uh, the, one of the main ones that they hired was a guy named Robert Lenahan, who was another former FBI agent. And he becomes, a, a not like a key part, but we're going to mention Lenahan quite a bit. And it's this is the guy we're talking about. So, a former FBI agent. So when Lenahan actually read the letters, he recognized that there were several old-fashioned ticks in the letter that pointed to somebody who was actually 
older. It wasn't just somebody who was like younger pretending to be older. Yeah. So right? it's like, okay, boomer. Yes. So one thing that was a bit of a tick was it was addressed to M slash M Braddis. So two things there. One, the last name was misspelled. Okay. Two, it was the M slash M, which means Mr. and Mrs. Okay. Which is not something, like, I've never written that on a letter to any, like, when we were addressing, um, like, wedding invitations. Yeah. At no point did we do M slash M. We I did mean, it Mr. saves time, and though. Miss. I like it, it. It does, no question. Big fan. You'll do that now in all the letters you write. Yeah, 100%. To married couples. Even, like, we just did a report card comments. If I had known that, I would have used it then. When? <laughs> just be like, dear M slash M, insert last name. And, like, then I'm assuming That's that, assuming that they're together and married. I know. Yeah. I love assuming things like that and offending everybody. You do well at that. So, um, also, another weird tick is that the salutations... Also included the day's weather. <laughs> like, I warm like that. and humid. That's actually sunny a wicked. and cool for a summer day. I want to start a pen, like, pal with someone far away so the letter takes two weeks to get there. And just talk about the current weather. And be like, I hope that uh, when you're reading this, is also nice and sunny like it is right now. It does feel like something that an old person would do. Like, letting you know what the weather was like on the day that they wrote it. Yeah. And you know at some point it included, like, it's not... <laughs> Not the heat, it's the humidity that'll kill you. Yeah. Like at some point, but then end with like, or me. But that's literally true, eh? The humidity will kill you. So will heat. Yeah, but the humidity increases the ability of the heat to kill you. You can die in a desert with 0% humidity. You can die at 30 degrees Celsius with the right humidity. Yes. Yeah. But what I'm saying is both are accurate. Yeah, I'm just saying humidity is the silent killer. Wet bulb temperature. I almost did a science corner yes. on it once, and then I didn't. Yes, I've I've heard of wet bulb temperature. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, <laughs> we really go off on tangents. We're bad for that. No. So wet bulb temperature, folks, <laughs> <laughs> is your body's ability to evaporate sweat. And if there's too much humidity in the air, you can't evaporate sweat. You can't cool down. That's why you can die at a lower temperature. All right. Thanks, Alex. Do you want to go back to my drop? <laughs> no. Uh, okay, go. thank you. <laughs> and we're back. So uh, also the sentences had a couple things, like uh, each sentence had double spaces between them. So it was the period and double spaces as well, which we don't normally do, like writers nowadays. Like now if I put a, a period down, I put one space, then start the next sentence. Yeah. So just little ticks like that um, suggested that this person who was writing it wasn't somebody overly young or at the very, very least, was somebody who was used to writing in an old-fashioned sense. Yeah. So it did narrow down to, like, oh, probably this isn't a teenager who only knows how to use, like, TikTok and messaging. What's kind of cool is I found that you have old-fashioned sense. Like, it's just outdated clothing, man. <sighs> I'm trying. I do have, like, a Henley that has been passed on to me for years. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fair. Hey, these yeah. jeans were... Purchased, I don't even remember when they were. Anyway. Anyway, so, um, so Lenahan didn't think the Watcher was likely to act on any of the threats that they made. But the letters had enough typos and errors to imply a certain, like, erraticism to them. Yeah. So, and that is what's scary. It isn't scary necessarily, like, a threat is obviously scary when it's direct. 
but it's even scarier when it's just like randomly thrown in a paragraph. It's unhinged threats. Exactly. They're scarier than like hinged threats. Yeah. If somebody just writes a message that says like, I'm going to get you, that's obviously scary, but it's almost scarier to hear like, oh, well, it's warm and sunny today. I was watching you last night. You're going to die at my hands. Wouldn't it be shame if you tomorrow on the bathroom tile? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like what? What? That that's was significantly more terrifying. Yeah. Right. So in the first letter, it, the there were some typos and errors that that kind of gave you the idea that this person, like you said, was unhinged. One again, because this person had obviously written letters before. It's strange that in the very first one. They made a pretty obvious typo where they said it was dated Tuesday, June 4th, but June 4th was like a Wednesday that day. Like that seems like an uncharacteristic mistake. That's like too obvious of one. That's like something the Barncast would do. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's a classic unhinged dummy. Yeah. So uh, there was also like a, a seething anger directed at just wealthy people in general in those letters. So they're using this to try and get a clue as to like, What's the profile of this person? Yeah. Because they do write well, like quite well. It was very, you know, clear their intention. And two, like there wasn't too many spelling errors, but some weird typos. Yeah. And they also had all this together. So the idea behind it is Lenhan's trying to profile who this person could be. So, and uh, the watcher was upset by new money moving into town. And this is a quote from The Watcher. Are you one of those Hoboken transplants who are ruining Westfield? And by the Rogers' relatively modest renovations, this is what it also said. So The Watcher also said, The house is crying from all of the pain it's going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard when I ran from room to room imagining the life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old and so did my father. But he kept watching until the day he died. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. So creepy. Sounds like some Gwyneth Paltrow goop product. Like, the young blood? Young blood. Rejuvenate yourself in the young blood. It sounds a bit like a placenta. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's talking about placenta. I know, but I wouldn't put it past her to. <laughs> oh, she does. She's got placenta cream. No question. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. She definitely ate it too. Cooked it up and ate it. Oh, yeah. She's so weird and gross. Yeah. They asked us what they wanted us to do with ours. I'm like, you can get rid of it. Burn it. <laughs> Have you ever thought of that? Just burning it all? I think that's what they do. Yeah. They put it in the incinerator. Yeah. Also, all the confiscated drugs go to the medical incinerator at the hospital. So you see, you know that so, big chimney. Know, uh, yes and no. Go ahead. I I know and I'll, what they. Oh, well, it's just like well. that. If you're ever wondering what that big chimney, yeah. By, oh yeah. By the hospital is that's where they burn all the amputated feet. Okay. And some confiscated drugs and stuff. So what I also found out because I've got a couple pharmacist friends because I asked them like, what do you do with some of the stuff that's expired but you can't just like throw out like what like how do you dispose of it pocket no well maybe but <laughs> not the ones i talked to um they use kitty litter so they get a bunch of kitty litter and pour the like especially if it's narcotics on top of it because the kitty litter absorb it and it's it renders it useless as a narcotic 
Okay, cool. Yeah, and then they dispose of it. Yeah, I think it's kind of like like police seizures of drugs. They bring yes, them to yeah, the hospital and burn it. Um, and this is the last tangent I get off. I promise. But did you ever see the BBC video of the guy who was like standing in front of like all the drugs that they were burning? And he's like recording, and then he just bursts out laughing because he gets stoned. <laughs> I saw one of a firefighter that uh, it was like a grow up in a house, and they were putting it out, and he was just rip shit high. Yeah, like, yeah. This is pretty funny because the guy is like reporting from the BBC, being very serious. And he's like, behind me, you can see the massive amounts of like I think it was like cocaine that they seized from them burning into the sky, and then he goes, it <laughs> 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 starts laughing, and you can't. You gotta watch it. It's really really funny. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, Linehan, again, recommended that looking to the former housekeepers on their descendants. Perhaps the watcher was jealous that the Broadduses had bought a home that the writer couldn't afford. But the focus still remained on the Langfords, so Peggy, Michael, all of them. In cooperation with Westfield Police, the Broadduses sent a letter to the Langfords announcing plans to tear down the house, hoping to prompt a response. Nothing happened. So the police brought Michael Langford uh, in for a second interview, but got nowhere. And his sister, Abby, accused the police of harassing their family. Eventually, the Broadduses hired Lee Levitt, a lawyer, who met with several members of the Langford family, as well as their attorney, to show them the letters, along with photos explaining how their home was one of the few vantage points from which the easel in a previous letter could be seen. Okay. The meeting grew tense, and the Langfords insisted Michael was innocent. One night, Derek had a dream in which he confronted Peggy, the eldest Langford, and demanded she build an eight-foot fence between the properties. So this whole thing... It's a very Donald Trumpian dream. Yeah, it's completely consuming (laughs) them all together. We're going to build a wall, and you're going to pay for it. But yeah. Yeah, when you sleep everywhere, like... And it makes sense. Like, I mean, you got kids, you're scared. She's, like, just full of anxiety all the time. So when you're going to sleep, you're going to dream about it. Like, I I get nervous out of the blue for my kids for nothing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'll, like I still, my son is four and a half. And I still, like, when we're in a parking lot because I don't trust him, like, no, you got to hold my hand while we're in a parking lot because I don't trust him to not. And there's, like, it's like this invisible line on our driveway that I'm, like, you can't go past this line without us. Right, and it's just it. I should let some of that go, but it's really, really hard. It's nerve wracking. Yeah. So, um, there were reasons to consider other suspects, though, other than just the Langfords. For one thing, the police spoke to Michael before the second letter was sent, which would make sending two more especially reckless. So they talked to Michael and said all these letters are happening and gave him an idea as to what was occurring. And then after that, two more came out. That seems stupid if you're Michael. Yeah. Because, like, why would you... And and fairly close, like, soon after. So why would you announce yourself so blatantly if you had done that? Or maybe that's just, like, next-level thinking. Yeah. It could be that, so. Then, also, there was the rest of the neighborhood to consider. The private investigator found two child sex offenders within a few blocks. Bill Woodward, the Broadus's house painter, had also noticed something kind of strange with one of their neighbors in particular. The couple behind 657 Boulevard kept a pair of lawn chairs 
strangely close to the Broaddus' property. Which, whatever, fine. But one day, he says, I was looking at the window and I saw this older guy sitting in one of the chairs, the painter said. But the weird thing was, he wasn't facing his house. He was facing 657 Boulevard. So again, that that's a little strange. Yeah. Right? Like, I absolutely have, like, lawn chairs where I sit out. And sure, mine, like, I, they don't really face any house in particular. I probably have, like, one or two that face, like, the neighbors. But the, it's definitely not close to their property line. Yeah. Like, like not, if, if I went up to my fence facing my neighbor's house and just set up chairs. Yeah, that's creepy. There. Yeah. Right? But that's basically what this guy was doing. He was right, like, really, really close to the property line and just, like, staring at their house. Yeah. So that's that's creepy. So by the end of 2014, the investigation had completely stalled. The watcher had left no digital trail, no fingerprints, and no way to place someone at the scene of a crime that could have been hatched from pretty much any mailbox in northern New Jersey. Because they were just dropping the letters. At this point now, they were just dropping the letters off and it was okay. coming in regular mail. Yeah. So it wasn't like somebody was hand-delivering them because that's, that's an easy one to find. Yeah, right. Just look outside. Yeah, to do this, you have to stake out every mailbox in New Jersey. Yeah, which is obviously just impossible. So letters could be read close, uh, could be read closely for possible clues, or dismissed as the nonsensical ramblings of just like a sociopath. Either way, discouraging. Yes, he said uh, it was like trying to find a needle in the haystack. The police said. In December, the Westfield police told the Broadduses they had run out of options. Which is not what you want to hear. Never. No, that's terrifying. To be like, the, the police, the people who are supposed to get your back at all times, are like, we got nothing. Good luck. Yeah. So, what they decided to do is they decided to keep going with renovations. It says 657 Boulevard. So, what they did is they put a new alarm system, uh, and all these renos were finished within a few months. But the idea of moving in completely caused this whole family just overwhelming anxiety. Like, what's going to happen to them the second they move in? Is yeah. Person, as soon as they move in, this person is going to be there and murder them or something. Yeah. So, could they let the kids play outside or her friends over? Would they get a new letter, like, every week? Derek priced out and trained German shepherds and posted a job on a website for military veterans. <laughs> he wasn't messing around. No. But all he wanted them to do... Is just work out in their backyard every day. <laughs> That's it. Well, yeah, it's just more of like a, oh, you see this huge guy like pumping it up in the backyard. Yeah. I'm not going to mess with these people. Right. But it's it's something that I, th- I thought more about. Like, eventually, the German Shepherds are going to get used to people just being around. Yeah. Right? So what are they going to do? Because the Watcher isn't, well, I mean, to be fair, I guess, if the Watcher, you know, extends their... Um, level of what they want to do to this family. Yeah. As of right now, they are just being unbelievably creepy and just watching every move that they make. Well, that can happen from pretty far away where the dogs don't know yeah. or these military guys know. So it's not going to help anything. Well, the thing, though, like with a shepherd, they are, they'll be fine with other people, but if you do something that threatens their masters, they will come at you. Oh, like, yeah. Like my neighbor's dog, um, he was a super nice shepherd, but yeah. he'd always like stay between me and his and his mama. You know what right. I mean? Like, or yeah. he'd always be there. And like, when I first arrived, he'd always go over and make sure it was okay. Right. And check their body language to make sure that I was not a threat. Do you trust Angus to protect you? Uh, 
I don't know. Yeah. I think he, he could. He could mess somebody up. Yeah. But like he's, he's a big boy. He's really kind. And like yeah. Like the more I wrestle, because I still wrestle him and I play tug of war, he's getting strong. Yeah. And he's got big teeth. He but, does. Um, he's definitely like inadvertently bit me and it hurt. Yeah. No question. But uh, no, I taught him to do that. I it's thought like, so. Just to go after me in particular. Yeah, it's just you. I have a closet that I like. It's his bad place closet, and it's just pictures of you everywhere. <laughs> I don't I think they like, can see the pictures. It's got to be sent to metal. me. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I got underwear and stuff. It's bright lights though, so he can can't sleep. Yeah. Put them in there for days. <laughs> and then he nibbled on you once, and that's all I got out of it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's better than nothing. Yeah. So. uh Sorry, uh, but the brothers hadn't bought 67 to feel bunkered in a fortress. So at the end of the day, it came down to what are you willing to risk, basically, is what the family decided. So they weren't willing to put their kids in harm's way. So at this point, they decided, you know, Derek is responding to alarms all the time, bringing a knife with him whenever he goes to the house. The alarms are going off at any time at night. They just wanted to basically decide... We need to sell the house yeah. again. Like, I'm not willing to put up with this. Yeah, quality of life. Yeah. So what sucked, too, was that, you know, the kids, they hadn't really heard about it, but they could sense the anxiety. And the kids were so excited to get to this new home, pick up their own bedrooms and all this stuff. And they could just sense it. And they were, especially the dad, Derek, and the mom, Maria, were like, we're too terrified. We don't want to come back. Well, finding out that they were doing all these renovations and ended up going to selling it. They got another letter from the watcher and it did not go well. So this is what the watcher said upon hearing this information. 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. It's a little less like murdery. Yeah, maybe he's like feeling a little. Is Wait. this the equivalent of like, please come back? <laughs> I miss you guys. Yeah. I want to terrorize somebody. It's harder to terrorize you if you're not there. Yeah, it's no fun to terrorize an empty house. Yeah. So, either way, they obviously decided that they needed to sell it. So they initially listed the house for more than they paid to reflect the renovations that they had done. So they they reflected it for the method they paid plus the rentals they put in, but. Few worlds are more gossipy than suburban New Jersey, and rumors had already begun to swirl about why the house sat empty. So that was a big issue is, you know, six months after they bought it, when it was supposed to move in, no one had moved in, yeah. and now it's up for sale again. Right? And it's, you know, neighborhood New Jersey. People know what's happening. So a ton of rumors included, like, it was a sexual predator's house. There was one nearby. Maybe there was a stalker, which was the case. Either way, people loved the home but were too creeped out by the fact that it had been gone empty for so long, even though, like, it was too weird of a time frame. 
Yeah. It wasn't like it was purchased and then a couple of years go by and then someone sells it. Yeah. This is six months. It's a weird time frame. So one thing that they did decide, because they had to talk about, is like, what do we disclose to people who are interested in this? Do we go full disclosure and say, here are the letters you can expect if you buy this house? Yeah, are you legally required to disclose that we had a weird stalker? I don't think. Not when you can't even prove it. Yeah. Right? And so that's kind of what the real estate companies are saying. Like, why are you doing this? Like, and it's true. I remember when we sold, well, I didn't know about it. My parents told me about this afterwards. But when they sold their home, they did disclose, by the way, there's a bunch of dogs in the neighborhood. But they didn't disclose, like, oh, there's, like you're literally surrounded by dogs and they're all loud and they bark. And they didn't disclose the death that they should have. What? The death in your family home. The murder you guys did? <sighs> the worst. Why do I do this podcast? I don't know. Something to do. I do it for me, not for yeah. you. Oh, yeah. Anyway. I the, do it for you as well. Oh, thank you. Just to keep your ego in check. Yes, I am known for my <laughs> large. Your grandiose. Exactly. Inflated, inflated ego. That, was, that describes me to a T. <laughs> to be clear, I there was no murder in my family home. No. At least I know of. It was an old home. So anyway. So the Rogers has sent basically to a bunch of like these real estate companies partial disclosure. And they mentioned that they were getting letters from an unknown person. But they decided that when someone actually made an offer that they really meant, they would fully disclose what the letter said. And this is good of them. That shows some nice character. Oh, yeah. No question. But as a result of that, word then kind of started to spread and, you know. Yeah, the first person is like, yeah, I'll buy it. And they're like, by the way, here are the letters. And they're super psychotic and crazy. Yeah. They're like, oh, okay. And then they tell everybody. So as a result of that, because eventually these letters leaked, this spread like wildfire. Like they originally thought when they posted them that it would just end up like in a small local news station who kind of mentioned it. This went crazy. This went nationwide. Like, they had hundreds of cars of media outside their house now, all trying to figure out, like, what is going on, what's happening, and trying to... Basically, they want to be the one to solve and crack the case. Yeah. That did not go over well with their neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Because this is, for a lot of them, the first time they heard about it. Okay. Was through this, this media statement. Yeah. So, as a result, in Westfield, people were on edge. So, one of the local... Uh, one of the neighbors... Uh, who taught piano lessons in her house, um, said that one of her students came for a lesson shortly after hearing about this and seeing it on the news and immediately started bawling and crying because this girl was terrified to walk down the boulevard because of the washer. Yeah. Right? So that, I mean, that kind of sums up. That, that does sum up how, you can go read the full letters online, how insane these letters were. So uh, basically what happened is at the first Westfield Town Council meeting after the letters all became public, the mayor assured the public that the watcher hadn't been heard from in a year, and even though the police hadn't solved the case, their investigation had been exhaustive. So he's trying to, like, allay the fears. Yeah. Problem is, that was not the case whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The police had basically at this point like, really They read the done. letters. They've read the letters. They, they acknowledge there are letters. Letters exist. I see paper with words on them. And yeah. that was the extent of their investigation. Yeah. So imagine being a neighbor and being like, hmm, 
I just found out about this for the first time, and it's been going on for a minimum of a year. Yeah. They were pissed, absolutely pissed, because the police obviously hadn't been exhaustive because they were like, we haven't heard about this. Why am I hearing about this in the news, and I live two doors down? Why didn't you come talk to me and ask me questions about this? So they were just as confused as, like, how they thought that this investigation could be considered thorough when they're probably someone living in their proximity who is this person. Yeah. Like, everyone still believes probably within a certain 20-house range is this watcher. But if you even talk to any of those people in that 20-house range other than 657 Boulevard, what's what's the point of doing an it's investigation? It's a good way to ruin a block party. You know, like, one person here is a psycho. <laughs> yeah, basically. So... So hearing this and then eventually this this news going out as well too, but how pissed off these residents were, um, there was a veteran detective named, this is a great name, Baron Chamblaise. Ah, Baron Chamblaise. Yeah, Baron. I guess it's also C-H-A-M-B-L-I-S-S, so there's no A there, but I feel like there should be. It sounds French. Chambly? Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Uh, he decided he was going to look at the case as well. And he said, like, from the get-go, like, these, these broaders says they're the victims, uh, and they haven't gotten support from anybody that they needed. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff that, I trust me, I've cut this down significantly, which is insane because I'm going on, like, a six-hour story. <laughs> Thank you for sticking with us, folks. I appreciate that. With me, really. Um, he said that, like, yes, this is a major concern, but we still need to revisit even some of the people we looked at previously. So who did he go back to? Michael Langford. Yeah, the OG. Exactly. So he said, this is interesting news as well, too, that he went to go talk to people, and he talked to one of his brothers named Sandy. And Sandy, Michael's brother, told this veteran detective, oh, yeah, well, Michael was diagnosed with schizophrenia when he was a kid. Okay. That fits the bill. Red flag. Yeah. Right? So immediately he's like, why did no one ask this? Why did no one look at this guy's medical history? Yeah. They just took what he said for granted, right? So anyway, so he, uh, what he would do sometimes is this, this Michael, he would spook people who were new to the neighborhood because he would walk through their backyards and peek into the windows of their homes as they're being renovated. Okay, right? another red flag. Yeah, exactly, which sounds a lot like somebody who would do something if they were called the Watcher. And who would write about renovations extensively. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he would, no, he didn't say he mailed letters. But um, the thing is, though, that those who knew him, knew Michael, said the odd things he did were mostly just unusual neighborly kindness. He would go out and get newspapers for everyone in the morning. Right? Okay. Uh, he would go out and just, like, help old people cross the street, even if they didn't want it. Yeah. So he, <laughs> He's pulling them into the road. They're like, would you please cut it yeah, out? Yeah, like, it, it, basically, he was doing some just really strange behavior that just didn't make any sense. So, for the most part, people could chalk it up to one thing or another, but, again, when you look at that compared to the notes, just really, really, really strange. So, one thing, though. People had known Michael for decades, and they said that number one thing about him that says he probably didn't do it, he was not capable of writing those letters. Okay. He was not of sound mind enough 
to be the one. He could maybe be the one doing those acts, but he was not somebody who was capable of writing letters. So, as this veteran detective Chambly took uh, this case on hand, he discovered something pretty surprising. When investigators had actually taken the letters and did a DNA, al- a DNA analysis on one of the envelopes, they determined the DNA belonged to a woman. Oh. Plot twist. Double XX chromosome. Right? Exactly, right? So that was very surprising because under no circumstances did anyone believe that. And to be fair, the watcher doesn't identify themselves as male. Yeah. We all just assumed. Yeah, because usually males are the aggressors. Yeah, males are just tend to be more creepy than women. Yeah. From my experience. So one thing that came up is that one person who now became a bit of a person of interest is Michael's sister, Abby. Ooh. Right? And that would work. He could be the creepo big dude, and she could be the letter writer. Exactly, right? Why, why would she be involved with this? Well, come to find out, she is a real estate agent, and she did not get the listing for 657 when they were selling it. And she pissed. She might be pissed, right? So, also, was she missed out on possibly just being in charge of who were the people who could live next to her? Because remember, they live next door. Yeah. So, if she was the real estate agent for that house, she was essentially the one who could determine who was going to live next to her or not. Yeah. Right? So, that might be part of it as well, too. So, one thing, though, is they did determine is that the... The prosecutor's office, when they did all this work, is they did find out that without saying why or any information, like Michael and Derek, or sorry, uh, Maria and Derek, the Langfords, are not suspects anymore. <laughs> we know, as a matter them. of fact, we're not going to say anything, but we know it's not that. That's exactly what happened. Okay. So even though there's all these fairly significant red flags and justified reasons to believe it is them. Yeah. The police came back saying, it's not them. Drop it. Think of somebody else. <laughs> so really, really creepy. Yeah. So um, while the broadest is, con- I promise I'm almost done, folks. <laughs> I say that. There's still <laughs> so many more pages. I'm so, I'm so, so sorry. I'm always like speed read it, we, get through it. We can, I mean, we can break it up into a three-parter. We could do a three-parter. There's like, it would be a much shorter story next time. Yeah. So I can, I can promise you that. Would you like to do that? Maybe we just wrap it up and make it a three-parter. I'm okay with that. Never again. I, I, I told you it was a long story. I know. I, I warned you. I'm with you, listeners. I don't like to be continued. I don't, you know what? Sometimes it's good. There are a whole series that are done that way. Yeah. And then makes it's, you just, wanna... it's just not our style. Maybe we start making it our style. You know what? Listen to you. Breaking it up makes me want to have a drink. <laughs> makes me want to have a drink. This here podcast is brought to you by Heritage Brewery. Beer so good it'll make you say, mmm, you sure do got a pearl of mouth. That was a good one. I get that one. And you know what? To get through my anxiety over his long telling of this story is little Mariner's Blonde Ale. It is so delicious. It's a great blonde beer. And just a reminder that at Heritage, uh, they have their holiday custom packs you can get. So a four-pack of beer, you can customize it for 
you know, say you're buying for a stout lover or a red rusty truck red. Yeah. I just actually purchased one of their, um, well, one of their sweaters as well too. Oh yes, the sweaters as, as a Christmas gift. Not to, for not for me. Like I bought it for somebody else to give to somebody else. I need to get a new one. I have you one, should. but I want they have new one. crop top ones you could buy. Damn! Everyone wants to see my belly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go down there, and maybe you'll see me in a crop top. <laughs> I don't know if that's gonna help them sell beer, but <laughs> no, they're gonna ask you to like, just go, please yeah. go, just go. Come back next week. We got more stories. I'll be more healed up. We're going to do a science corner. I've done a science corner in two episodes, but I got a good one Okay. that I'm cooking up. I started cooking up for today. But Is I'm it going to be seven hours long like my story? Yeah. Who's that guy who does like the, the history ones? They're like four-hour episodes. Um, Dan Carlin, I think. Oh, you're going to be like, Benton? <laughs> <laughs> no. We're lucky to get 10 minutes of content out of Benson. Yeah, and after that, he's just on his phone anyway. <laughs> anyway, good to have you. Thanks for coming out. Everybody take care. I kind of started the outro yeah, without playing the music. <laughs> uh, check us out. Noise Cool Spotify allows you to rate uh, podcast episodes now. So maybe leave us a rating on po- Spotify. I'm a podcast. You always could. So if you could do that, that'd be really nice. Tell a friend about your favorite episode. Maybe give them a listen. Send him a letter. Send him a letter and say, I'm watching you listen. Good night.